Welcome back to another episode of Dave's Delivery and Junk Removal. I'm Dave and I'm here with Sean and we are continuing on the topic of motherhood. Um, yesterday we recorded and published an episode on Mother's Day and we started talking about motherhood from Titus 2. I encourage you to go listen to that uh, podcast at your leisure. It's entitled uh, something like Owen, Planned Parenthood, and Mother's Day. Uh, today we're going to continue talking about motherhood. Before we do that, seeing as this is a junk removal podcast, I was wondering if, Sean, mm-hmm. you could regale us with uh, a brief and glorious junk removal story. On the spot. Go. What kind of junk removal are we talking about? Talking about just a nasty, gritty, hilarious, some kind of job you had to do in junk removal. Like real junk removal, not necessarily like thought junk removal. Get it. Uh, I mean, I have my old classic. Let's hear it. Yeah, I uh, went into a trailer park. It was very trailer park-like. East County, San Diego. Great place. So you mean classy? Very hot. Yeah. Very hot, uh, which didn't bode well for this job. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like a little oven All of right. a uh, of a portable house. Uh, a rather large woman, from what I was told, passed away in this house uh, after a white whale, so to speak. <laughs> after uh, minimally weeks, depending on her level of production, just for her sake, I'm going to say months of. Not having a couple days, <laughs> <laughs> not having uh, running water, um, and so purchased pretty expensive if she bought them Home Depot five gallon buckets. Not a cheap purchase. No, probably cheaper to just keep your water. Pay for water, yeah. Uh, but that's where she kept her uh, excrement. Nice for again to give her some credit. I'm gonna have to say months. Because there were probably 25 plus five gallon buckets of fecal matter stacked in the corner of this house. Uh, Whoever came to, so one rule in in a job that I do now is that when you find a body and it's removed from a premises. You know what's better than a nickel? What's that? A dime. (laughs) Nice. You leave a window cracked. You know, one protocol just in living with other dudes is... Yeah, yeah. You leave a window Something cracked. smells <laughs> really bad. Crack that window. That's right. Something smells really bad. You crack a window. Uh, whatever body snatcher came to get this, uh, this corpse did not... <laughs> Give us the uh, courtesy crack. Yeah, the courtesy crack was not done, and so uh, this woman had at least a, one dog, which had been pooping all over the floor. Uh, the dog wasn't there anymore. At least I don't think we didn't never a saw de- a dog. Didn't have the decency to poop in a bucket. <laughs> yeah, like like its owner. Um, I think probably just saw like all bets are off. I can do whatever I want at this point. Standards are low in here. I'm yeah. pretty sure I can just and live so, my best life. It's the kind of thing like open the door. I mean, instantly hit with the smell. I actually had to teach my boss that day how to breathe through his mouth and not through his nose. Unfortunately, after the fact. Yeah, after day one. It was a multiple day <laughs> affair. Although, I actually don't think he came back for day two. I think he sent me with somebody else. Yeah, he did. But, because uh, <laughs> he's not an idiot. But, uh, yeah, just hitting the face with flies, swarms of flies coming out. It's funny because um, he's moved from 
on the job Jake to then for a season gas pedal Jake to now on the phone Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he put in plenty of. Uh, he plenty earned of, that. Yeah, plenty of earned horrible. those stripes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Breathing through his nose the whole time. But yeah, I remember. Uh, it's kind of like a twofold. So that job was just absolutely horrendous. You know, throwing stuff over this balcony into the into the back of the truck. Uh, everything we touched just. Just disgusting. <laughs> and uh, they wanted... What was the fly situation? They wanted... What was the fly situation? Yeah. Everywhere, dude. <laughs> Flies everywhere. Probably maggots all over the place. Like, I didn't... I looked as, in as few places as possible. I was just... I had gloves on. I was just grabbing stuff and chucking it. Get out of there as soon as possible. The only thing we didn't have to take, luckily, because we said we couldn't, was the buckets of fecal matter. But... Yeah. Joke's on them, because actually, we do take buckets of fecal matter. <laughs> but that... Fri- the fridges and stuff like that, she had multiple refrigerators, of course... And they were, <laughs> and they were all chock full of uh, rotten food and you know rotten milk, all that kind of stuff. And so we like taped them shut and threw them in the in the truck. And we didn't really have a game plan on how we were going to dispose of them. So we just drove to Edco, dumped it all, hoped for the best. Nobody said anything, and we got out of there. And it was. Uh, a moment of holding our breath because if I had to go back there and grab that uh, spoiled food-ridden fridge. Listen, Ed is full of bodies. You're not worried about your fridges. <laughs> right? You need to get rid of a body, you go to Edco. Yeah, sometimes you gotta you gotta, gotta really push you gotta really push through some stuff to get rid of some junk. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's talk about motherhood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, you know, we talked last time about. Well, here's the shift. Okay. Uh, mobile home full of poo my shift was sometimes you have to push through some stuff to get rid of some junk but I missed that mobile home full of poo feminism nah motherhood Titus nice go sick (laughs) yeah Um, so you know last time we talked about Titus 2 and we just wanted to touch on it once more just Kind of finishing up the passage, I'm going to read it now. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We talked about a lot of this passage last time, talked about the importance of, uh, and really what's definitional to uh, not just motherhood, but womanhood is uh, being a wife and being a mom. It's definitional womanhood to uh, love your husband, to love your children, uh, to be marked by uh, modesty and submission, obedience uh, to your husband. And the reason... How's your wife at all this? Phenomenal. Knocks it out of the park. She does. Nice. I'm blessed. And the reason Paul gives... Favor. (laughs) The reason Paul gives for this uh, as to the why is what he finishes with in verse 5, which is that the word of God be not blasphemed. Sounds like something you don't want to do. Right. High stakes. High stakes. High stakes for a woman to, to... seek to fulfill the calling that God has for her, uh, to seek to, uh, or to listen to rather, um, the older women teaching them, 
uh, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, uh, all these things uh, say something about God, who he is, who he's made women to be. Uh, and so none of those things are up to us, right? Uh, women don't get to take on the roles that they think, uh, that they think are going to fulfill them. Uh, they're to be obedient, um, which is not a complicated thing. It's just a difficult thing right. uh, for sinners to do. Uh, it shouldn't be a difficult thing because uh, God is good. And so, you know, the things he's laid out for us are good. He's given us his son. So our grounds, even apart from that, our grounds on which to doubt God are nil. And then he's given us his only son. So we know he's not going to withhold any good thing from us. And yet we, uh, we have many women in the church today uh, kicking against passages like this. Many men in the church not willing to teach passages like this for what they say. Literally just, you know, all, we're, all I've done so far today, really all we've done is read the text and repeat it a couple of times. Because yeah, it's pretty straightforward. In reality, pretty much all you need to do with this text today, now it needs to be taught. But okay. you, yeah, you literally just can just read it yeah. and read it and read it. And it's going to keep pricking hearts because that's how little it's talked about. You know, Peter talks about how some things in Paul are hard to understand. Yeah. yeah he wasn't talking about this. <laughs> no. Huh. <laughs> so the word of God is blasphemed when I am not loving my husband, when I'm not loving my children, when I'm not being discreet, chaste, a keeper at home, obedient to my husband. Yeah, that's – there's yeah. really nowhere else to we, go with Women that. who forsake uh, obedient – Whiffery and glad-hearted sacrificial motherhood violate the Ten Commandments, take the Lord's name in vain, among other things. Maybe a time for another to- uh, topic for another time, but Ten Commandments. I think they matter. I think they do. It seemed like a big deal, written on stone. With the finger of God. Kept where? The ark. In the ark. That's right. Beside what? Manna. Ooh, Christ and his law. Shoot. That's interesting. Um, a little unrelated, but uh, I, I appreciate, I'm a big fan of asides, and I appreciate Paul's a fan of wine. We got a friend that has a tattoo that says, moderation is for cowards. <laughs> and without qualification, that's obviously true. <laughs> <laughs> but here... Uh, Paul takes a different approach and he says the aged women, he kind of just supposes aged women are given to glad-hearted imbibing of Kabsav. Just not too much. Yeah. Not too much. So, he who has an ear. Is that all you want to say on Titus? Yep. Cool. Let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's going to be a lot of overlap between what we saw last last episode in, in Titus and what we're going to look at here in Timothy. 1 Timothy 2 is a pretty pivotal text. I say Titus, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Corinthians 11 uh, come to my mind as the three key New Testament texts on womanhood. Uh, I'm a guy, so I like lists. I like rankings. Yeah. If you get these, if you get these texts right, you are going to, I think, be in a in a great spot to understand biblical womanhood and be able to walk in obedience to it. Yep. Yeah. I'd add a 
I'd add Ephesians 5 to that list. Nice. And uh, whatever chapter in First Peter. Yeah, that one. First Timothy 2, and we'll start in verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So in 11 and 12, you have Paul's command for women. Uh, 11 gives a positive command and 12 gives a, a negative, a do not command. So in 11, what is a woman to do? She is to learn in silence with all subjection. And I'll note this. It's really funny. You often hear people preaching these verses, hear men preaching these verses, not just androgynous people. Nice. And Hopefully not hearing women preaching these Yeah. Verses. It'd be really funny. Uh, <laughs> speaking of funny, like women preaching First Timothy 2, I one time I taught First Corinthians 11 with a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wasn't doing it ironically at all <laughs> oh goodness gracious the, awesome. the Lord is merciful slow to anger slow to anger so you'll hear men preaching this uh, these verses and you know men who, who want to preach these verses conservatively but you can still tell they're a little scared of pushback from women in the congregation Right, because you know a, a sure way to have kind of a miserable season in the pastorate is to have women in your congregation with their uh, cackles up, mad, talking about you, plotting against you. Sure, women, women, angry women in a congregation have a have a unique power to make the pastor miserable, and so pastors are scared of that. Yeah, especially especially depending on how much. Uh, legwork you've done on the front end to actually establish men as heads of their homes. Yeah. Husbandry is key. Yeah. But nowadays, there, there's the a... The combination of angry wives or women with husbands who are bad heads. It's bad, bad combo for the pastor. Really bad. And so pastors, instead of doing that legwork you talked about, will instead just try to avoid angry women by adding a lot of qualifications. Yep. Right? Yeah, if so, they even go to the passage. Right. So yeah. you, you'll get guys come to this verse and they teach it like 
Somehow Paul was being this ahead of his time, revolutionary, pro, uh, now, he is being pro-woman here, but not in the way that it's often presented with this qualification. Uh, you know, pro-women power, empowerment. They'll say, listen. Like, this is the first time a woman ever got to hear teaching. She, <laughs> you know, those Jewish girls, they just didn't get to learn. Paul says women learn. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at Paul. Yeah. Paul being for female liberation. Yeah, the way, uh, the way uh, faithful men in the Old Testament obeyed texts in Deuteronomy to speak of God, what he's done, saving a people out of the land of Egypt All as the they time. rise up, as they go about their day, and as they go down. He just made sure there were no women present whenever he did that. Boys, it's boy time. We're going to talk about the Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Women or girls, get in the kitchen with your mother. She's barefoot, pregnant. Close to the gas stove. And if I hear you guys talking about what God did saving the if people I out of the land of Egypt, the Bible, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> if I hear you catechizing, I'm coming for you. Where that really got awkward was like when people were being saved out of the land of Egypt. The women being saved out of the land of Egypt. They kind of saw it. Yeah, gosh. They knew about it. That was probably a pickle. Yeah. Miriam's song, unfortunate. <laughs> unfortunate. Didn't she know she wasn't supposed to learn? Mary... Mary's response to being told that she was going to be blessed with uh, bearing the savior of the world in her womb, her response reflected years of rebellion in diligently studying the Old Testament and being able to praise God thoroughly, uh, <laughs> thoroughly from the Old Testament, yeah. referencing the Old Testament all over. She yeah, just I didn't mean, know. She didn't know she wasn't supposed to learn. It's crazy. Like, Which is ironic because it's an unlearned thing to be learned. It is crazy that that's, that's the way that text is talked about. Those Jews. <laughs> it's like we just put ourselves so far above them uh-huh. in terms of like, you know, we – you talk to many even guys who would teach this text as if that's true, as if everything we're talking about right now is true. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, those guys would be totally down for everyone around the dinner table family worship mm-hmm. and praise God for that. That's a good – obviously a good thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like, dude, you're not – you're not so much better than that. Like, that's not like a new thing for the people of God. <laughs> but it's the new covenant. <laughs> I eat bacon. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Brent's thinking this is all funny. So anyway. So you're saying that's not what this text is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a 10 minute aside. Yeah. That's all my asides are 10 minutes. So anyway... But she is to learn in silence and with all subjection. And the positive command is going to make a lot of sense in relation to the negative command. But we, we're starting in 11 with women are to learn and they're to learn in a way. Now, uh, even before we get to the negative command, you know, if you're just reading simply, you already have she's not to teach. Yep. Right? Because she's to learn. She's not to teach. She's to learn. That's her job in an assembly focused on learning and instruction, right? And she's to learn in a particular way, in silence. She's to learn in silence, which is connected with the fact that she's to learn in silence with all subjection. So because, and we're going to bring in a little bit of extra Bible here before moving on to 12, but because of the hierarchy God has established in his world, right? You have the triune God. You have the chief man, 
the Christ, you have all men, and then you have all women. It's the hierarchy God has established in his world. Unless you read the ESV. Unless you read the ESV, then, then only wives have to suffer through subjection. But in the word of God, you have women in subjection to men as God's good design. And so that's reflected in the assembly with silent learning. And that's why when you go to 1 Corinthians 14, women are not to speak in church. They're to be silent. They're not to lead out in any verbal act, right? Which is not to say they can't be involved in the congregational ver- verbal act. Right. They're not to lead out in, in the verbal act. There's They're the, there's the voice silence. of the church and then there's the distinct voice in, of leading. That's right. So now, that's what women are to do. Uh, women are not to, verse 12, I suffer not, so I don't tolerate, I got no time for, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And now, a, a couple things here. Sometimes people want to just say, this verse simply forbids women from being in the pastorate, okay? Now, they're the same people that are going to be okay with women speaking in church, right? Yep. They neglect to think oftentimes that this verse forbids women from being in the diaconate, which is ironic because part of Paul's application of these principles that he introduces here in 2, his application specific for the task he'd given to Timothy, namely to put these churches in order as his representative. Uh, In in chapter 3, he applies the principles of 2 to the pastorate, and then immediately after that applies the principles of chapter 2 to the diaconate and forbids women from both without limiting the meaning and significance of 2 to those two spheres. A particular application does not limit a principle from application elsewhere. Yep. It just means you have a targeted letter. Yep. So, and we'll see that even in how he lays out the principle in two. But women are not to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. And those are two distinct things that women are forbidden from doing. So it's not women are forbidden from authoritative teaching, but if you're sitting down in a circle, right, with, uh, you know, teacups out, then a woman can teach. No, but she's not to teach that goes with learn in silence. And she's not to usurp authority over the man that goes with subjection, right? And notice, notice even here, she's not to usurp authority. For a woman to exercise authority over a man in the way Paul's talking about here is a usurpation, again, because of the order God has put in the world in 1 Corinthians 11. Yep. She's actually stealing from God and man. And, and we're going to talk about blaspheming the word of God from Titus. That's exactly what she's doing. If she exercises authority over men. And these are, in anywhere a man is a man and a woman is a woman, the principles, the, the positive and negative command provided here by, by Paul is relevant. Rather, she's to be in silence. And then Paul lays out his, his reasoning. So she's, She's not to teach. She's not to be a teacher in a formal public sense, right? Because, and actually, we, we saw in Titus that women do do teaching. Do-do. Do-do. 
back to that story. <laughs> but it's a particular kind of teaching. It's, it's older women teaching younger women yep. to be good women. That's right. right. Which involves teaching children. But it does not involve public formal teaching of men. It doesn't involve doctrinal teaching of, of women conferences. Right? And it, it doesn't involve exercising authority over men. Uh, so sorry, Hillary. You lost to the Donald. And God was pleased. Here's Paul's reasoning uh, for what he commands positively and neg- negatively in 11 and 12. Verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And he takes up that exact same idea, the same line of argumentation in 11, when he's talking about the hierarchy of God's world in 11. Adam was formed first, then Eve. And it, that's not uh, uh, simply a, a throwaway fact of history, but it right. establishes the order of God's world. Yeah, I mean, it's that's uh, recognizing that in 1 Timothy 2 and in 1 Corinthians 11 is uh, vital to uh, stripping anyone from this... Uh, this throw-out phrase of it being, you know, a cultural, a cultural idea, right? Well, if you want to say cultural for eleven, you have to say cultural for first Timothy. That's two. right. Yeah. But both of them have have this in there that makes it a uh, makes the creation argument really null mm-hmm. because that's not what's going on here. The because argument. Paul gives a reason. Yeah. So if Paul gave the reason of like, if Paul said here, you know, in light of uh, let women learn in silence, for uh, this is a new thing. And we want to introduce it slowly to the world. God is right? doing a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> God is doing a new thing. Stop. God is doing a oh, new gosh. thing. Oh, uh, gosh. One of our first uh, theological conversations, if you remember, was on this very idea. Yeah. How you couldn't make a cultural argument because that's not the argument Paul makes. He makes right. a creational argument. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, if, he's, if he did say for, uh, you know, we're introducing this new thing women have never learned before in the world. And now they're to learn in silence. Soon they're going to be teaching. But right now, we can't have them teaching or usurping authority because that's too much at once. No, he literally says, Adam was formed first and then Eve. This is the way I made it. That's basically yeah. what God says. Yeah. And so it, and that is the foundation of male headship, lordship in the world, and female subjection. Right. And it's also uh, the, the foundation of uh, woman being not just from but for man uh, can i ask you a follow-up question on that yeah, and his helper yeah so uh you know titus boy. titus 2 talks about uh so we have this idea this this broad idea presented mainly in first corinthians 11 and then we see applied in texts like first timothy 2 uh of uh men as head over woman it's not debatable it's literally what the text says in first corinthians 11 so we have that reality and we know that that reality isn't arbitrary. It's the way God made it. Yeah. Man formed first. Woman formed from man and for man. Yeah. Like you said, this is helper and this is glory. Yeah. And so that's a, that is a creational reality. And we don't want to minimize that. We want to see everywhere that applies and do so faithfully. And then we have Titus 2 saying uh, that women are to be obedient to their own husbands. Right? Uh-huh. And so there's a specific obedience. So Because we're, we're talking about subjection of women broadly. Yeah. And so I'd like to hear you kind of spell out the difference between obedience to a husband and then subjection broadly. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So as I said earlier, a particular application of a truth to one area doesn't deny its application uh, elsewhere. Sure. So 
uh, a lot of times people want to say, and even really conservative men want to say, women are to submit to their own husbands. They're not to submit to men broadly. I want to actually counter and say, women are in subjection to uh, all men by virtue of a man being a man and a woman being a woman. Okay. And including your hearing of that, what I said in the last episode of a man being able to lose his man card. Uh, and that's not a woman being a subjection to a boy. It's a woman, wherever a woman is a woman and a man is a man, that relationship of authority and subjection exists. That does not mean that there are not specific kinds of lordship that are not broad. So a husband has a particular kind of authority mm -hmm. that's not unrelated to the fact that he is a man. In fact, he can only be a right. husband if he is a man. Right. But it's a, it's a specifying and an intensifying of the authority he has broadly as a man. And so uh, the fact that uh, your wife, for example, is a woman and I'm a man dictates, dictates the ethics of how we interact. Right. right? It's kind of silly to deny that. Yeah, she's, she is broadly... Uh, in um, disposition, decorum around me, submissive, uh, and and if she were otherwise, all men would recognize and uh, call her. I'm not going to call your wife that, but call call her a word that that maybe you know would end it, the podcast early. Yeah, if there was like <laughs> I don't know a female lieutenant out there that we would call that, right? There's a womanly comportment that is broadly. Uh, that, that is marked by disposition of submission <laughs> and uh, but there, there's a whole sphere of life the sphere of uh, family right which I am not included in your sphere of family and in that domain you are the singular male lord under Christ Right? So in the domain of creation, yep. right, I have a role in male lordship, but in the sphere of your family, I don't. Right. And then and so you know, you mentioned taking what you said about uh, last well, week also about in, and women are expected to be married. There's there's a very limited number of men that Paul recognizes it's a good thing for them to be single. Very limited. Mm -hmm. Those without any sex drive. Right? And apart from those men, everyone else is expected biblically to be married. Yep. Uh, this guy, Vermigli, actually says it's, it's a requirement. It's a command. You're actually disobedient. Unless you're gifted with the gift of celibacy, it's required of you as a matter of godliness to get married. Interesting. Yeah. You included, you know, this idea of – you wanted – you said as a caveat that you wanted included in this understanding what you talked about last time with a guy losing his man card, right? Yeah. Uh, manhood requires not just – broad shoulders it doesn't matter how much you can shoulder press in and of itself mm -hmm. um, but you have there's character involved with it mm -hmm. and if you fail to have that character you're failing to be a man are you including that in the explanation as to who women are in subjection to well, yes because a man who loses his man card for right or wrong 
because I brought up a story where a guy wrongly lost his man card. But a guy who loses his man card in the, in the context of a community is not going to be really regarded by anyone. Right. The only time he gets to then enter that sphere of regard community-wide right. uh, wide is with the possession of a man card. So. Right. Yeah, because I think about, you know, tons of male transients ride by here on their bicycle and then somehow mysteriously an hour later ride by with two bicycles. I don't know how right. similarly that works. I'd say like, the time I, I pulled up to my apartment and two guys were kicking a transient. So I, I got out and there were like two blue collar guys and like I'm one blue collar guy. I'm like, ah, I don't like my numbers here, right? I don't know Kung Fu, but they're kicking the guy. I, I have to go up to that. Yeah. So I go up ready to like intervene on behalf of this transient. I don't okay. like transients at all. I wish they were all exiled from the city. Sure. But I'm not gonna let a guy just get the snot kicked out. Of course. Out. And uh, it turns out he was stealing bikes from kids. And so I was like, oh, let's go. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, we, he, tried, he kept trying to leave. We kept him there. Citizen's arrest. Nice. And uh, waited for the female police officer to show up and arrest him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, because I, and some people might disagree with my possession, whether it's rightful or not, but I possess a man card. Uh, it does very naturally, because your wife isn't rebelling against womanhood. It naturally uh, really dictates the terms of how she's going to relate to me. So there's, there's a very – and it's, it's not hard for her. It's an easy response of respect and broad submissiveness that she doesn't give to a guy that's not regarded as a man in the community. That's right. Because he's not a man. Yeah, and I think that's helpful. Uh, and a bit of a sidetrack, but I just want it to be plain that there's a level of discernment in that. So it's – there's a principle that we want to apply – uh, but it requires on the part of uh, men as they lead their family and lead their wives and what that looks like and then just women who are single and uh, and what that looks like. It's not a it's not a broad command in the sense that it applies to men, just biological men. Well, yeah, and that really – listen to our last episode on, right. on the distinction of a biological male and, and a man. Right. Now, you can't – yeah, you can't be a man without being a biological man. That's right. We're not Even saying, we're not saying like anything weird. Yeah. But – but it does require discernment in terms of who who you're really lending respect towards and uh, and seeking to uh, seeking to honor in a broad sense. Yeah, and and then uh, I'm abbreviating myself because I've got this clock like right off of Sean's head, and I, I'm watching it because he, he's got to go to work. But um, you know, if you're a single girl, not every man by virtue of being a man is your pastor. Not every man by virtue of being a man is your father, yep. right? If you're married, obviously not every man by virtue of being a man is a husband. That it goes without saying. But I'm also saying something that is just all that, not all that controversial at most times in history. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. And a woman who doesn't recognize the men around her and act accordingly is a bad woman. And, and few women in the church, like it's not a, I don't think it's a, well, there's more people that would uh, disagree with that statement than there are that actually like disobey it, if that makes sense. Or like women, they might, rec- they might disagree with it and they might even practically buck against it, though deep down they want it. 
Yeah, but or even when they buck against it, or uh, there might be times where they don't buck against it, and it's not because they don't want to buck against it, but it's because it's so natural. They forgot it's just, to buck. Yeah, it's just happening. <laughs> oh gosh, like, what am I doing? <laughs> doors are getting held. You know, compliments being given. There's a crisis. Guys take over. Yeah, it's whoa, like whoa, whoa, whoa. What gives you the yeah. right? You're not my husband. It's like there's so many push come to shove moments where it's very plain, um, but just the teaching in light of a, a thoroughly feministic culture. It's just like, uh, uh-uh. yeah, no way. And even think about, you know, uh, so again, distinguishing the family sphere from a community sphere. I can talk in a way as a man that no one takes offense to, even when I'm talking that way to your wife. And if she were to talk in the exact same way back to me, everyone would be like, huh? Right. Right. Even if they don't verbalize something, right? Yep, because it's right. it's not womanly. And that's yeah, that's that's what I wanted to draw out. So there's a, that's, there's a that's quiet. Uh, th- yeah, there's a there's a, and it, this gets into even how men and women a, bear uh, the fruit of the spirit differently. A shamefacedness. A shamefacedness that marks the comportment of women, and it's particular to women. That's right. It should mark how they relate an inner, to an inner modesty. That's right. Now, I gotta press on so I can actually get to motherhood, and again, anything we have abbreviated. Uh, that we should unpack, we can do so in a future episode. So Adam was formed first, then Eve, and we're going to actually do a, a whole episode dedicated to 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah. So, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So why are women not qualified to be teachers, uh, not in the Titus 2 sense, but, but teachers of, of doctrine, Right, those who, who teach the truths that establish the worldview of God's people. Not just because Adam was formed first. But Paul, Paul gives us a second reason. Adam was not deceived. The woman being deceived was in the transgression. She w- uh, it's not like it was a, a fluke that the devil went after Eve for deception and not Adam for deception. He got Adam on something else. He got Eve on deception because women are more easily deceived. And being more easily deceived by virtue of being women, they are not fit to be teachers in the community. So the, the formal public teachers are men because men are less easily deceived than women. The, the how to be a woman, home economics, all of that, yeah, teach from experience older women who have been there, done that, and done it well to younger women. But the public formal teachers in the community, women are not fit for that because they're actually more easily deceived. And if you don't like that, it's not my problem. It's what Paul says. Sure. I mean, and the only other way to really interpret that passage, I guess, would be to say that the woman uh, was deceived and therefore is now punished forever Uh from being able to have that teaching role. Right. Which, um, yeah, it doesn't mean that she's more easily deceived. By virtue of being a woman, it just so happens that historically right. a woman was deceived, right. and therefore the the my, my pushback against that is that Adam is our federal head, so our guilt and corruption is in Adam. Yep. Right now, our our nature is man or woman. So, and I got we can get into this in a future episode, but men and women don't have the same nature. That's why we say a man is a man and a woman is a woman, where they, they have different natures. Yep. Um, and. And so it, because of the way women are, they're not fit to be teachers. Deal with it. 
Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that's the flow of what Paul's talking about. It would be a it'd be a drastic switch from verse thirteen into verse fourteen in terms of how he's talking. He's talking about creational realities, how people are made. Uh, yeah, and and then so he calls women uh, away from teaching, away from a usurpation of authority in light of the creational order, in light of the way we are, not only to learning. Uh, in contrast to teaching, learning in silence with all subjection, but in, in, in contrast of pursuing a life of authority over men, right? Instead of pursuing a life of authority over men, pursue a life of motherhood, for motherhood is your vocation. It's your God-given vocation as a woman, and it's through your God-assigned vocation that you will walk the road of God provided sanctification all the way to the celestial city. That's what we get in verse 15. Nice. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So if she walks as a godly woman, right? Faith, charity, holiness, sobriety, the things both in Titus and in Timothy. Paul calls women too, right? Shamefacedness and sobriety, modest apparel. So if you walk in sobriety, holiness, charity, and faith and channel that womanly godliness into the work, the hard day in and day out work of motherhood, there you will find your salvation. And some people are like, whoa, 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 workspace salvation. Right. And uh, to, to explain it quickly, Salvation does not simply get used in Scripture. You know, if you go to First Peter, it does not simply get used in Scripture in a past tense justification right. kind of way. You'll find in First Peter a, a present progressive, an ongoing use of the word salvation, being saved, referring to our progressive sanctification, and even a future salvation referring to our glorification, the, you know, the, the culminating, ending, finishing work of sanctification where we are fully in the image of Christ. And so salvation is a word broader than simply justification. So, and, and sanctification uh, is, is something that happens as a process through very earthy, uh, tangible means like uh, doing your God-given vocation well. So men, practically speaking, uh, walk through the road, uh, go through the, the hard grind of sanctification in their God-given vocations and women have been assigned the vocation of motherhood and find sanctification by walking faithfully down that road. Now specifically, especially in light of uh, Titus, but then if you broaden it out and, and, and look at scripture more broadly than that, again, women are expected to walk this sanctifying road of motherhood specifically as mothers in the very direct biological sense. The Bible expects women to be married and to bear children. And yet, obviously, as a qualification, unlike the qualification of Paul as a feminist, uh, some women are barren. We find women like that in scripture. It is a matter of suffering. Some women uh, are not married ever. Uh, or are early on in life widowed. And again, all of these are instances of 
great suffering um, and lack. And in God's kindness, he gives women access to the work of motherhood more broadly. Tim Bailey helpfully talks about, and and you can look to him to give just a lot of solid teaching on, on the broad application of the calling of women to motherhood and that every nurturer is a mother. So if you find yourself in a position of suffering and lack as a woman, you can still throw yourself into nurturing life and find sanctification in that road. Um, but the broad expectation in, spe- in light of our continuing conversation on Mother's Day and motherhood is that women, throw yourself into mother. Don't chase what the world is saying. I mean, I went to a, a school of a bunch of high achieving gals and a ton of hours, a ton of years, a ton of money had been poured into telling these women, you're really intelligent, you're really competent, and the only way to not waste what God has given you is to chase this career or that career or this career. Well, the work of motherhood is not easy. You don't want adult. You don't want a dim-witted idiot. You want a competent, high-achieving, smart, godly gal in that. Because it's we're talking about giving God a godly seed. We're yeah. talking about pressing Christendom down through the generations. Yeah, that doesn't you just, don't get chumps to do that. that you just get happen. godly, high-octane women to do that. You need it. Yep. If you don't have it, you're just you're, you're going to reproduce from what you have. Yep. You know? So you want you want the best. You want your best in motherhood. That's right. We're kind of out of time. So if you have any closing thoughts, speaking of like crushing womanhood, just from seeing me look at my empty coffee mug, your wife concluded that I was thirsty and brought me a bottle of water. I never I never asked or anything, but I wanted a bottle of water and it just appeared in front of me. It's like a sixth sense. Yeah. Closing thoughts for Sean. Uh, yeah, just to, to touch on what we were, we we're just uh, what David was just speaking about in terms of uh, women being nurturers and mothers broadly. Uh, plenty of struggles for single women. Plenty of struggles for married women wanting, either wanting more kids, having trouble with that. Um, miscarriages are more frequent than people like to talk about. Um, all of those things, you know. Two things on that. First, um, we're gonna have a whole episode yeah. dedicated to ideas of suffering. Yeah, self pity uh, is to be repudiated. Uh, there's no time for that. Uh, God is good. The gifts He gives are good, and so uh, self pity is to be repudiated, repented of, forsaken, uh, and you should look to Christ. So don't sit in that. Uh, God is not pleased when you sit in self-pity. Indy Wilson talks about whenever you face suffering, whenever you stub your toe, you know, metaphorically, yeah. you have two doors. You always only have two options. You either curse God and die or he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's right. Yeah, and so self-pity is to be repudiated and remember in the midst of any any difficulty you have in this life, it certainly applies to uh, motherhood and the difficulties in it and womanhood and the difficulties of not being able to have the motherhood you want. Uh, any suffering we have is uh, certainly from the hand of God, but it is uh, a result of sin in this world. And it should be a reminder to us. It should serve as a reminder uh, that sin is to be the thing that we repudiate. Sin is the thing we're fighting. Jesus is going to conquer all of his foes. He's going to do that through his church. 
And so when you come up against opposition, may your disposition be that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away with a knowledge that he will conquer sin uh, and that we have the privilege uh, in whatever we're given to uh, take up what God has called us to as men and as women distinctly, uh, honor him in it and trust him uh, to do his work. Realistic resilience, realistic optimism. Amen. Because God, through Christ, through his people, wins. Jesus is a winner. That's right. He's not a loser. So with that, this has been another episode of Dave's Delivery and Junk Removal with Dave and Sean talking about motherhood, part two. We're actually going to probably continue this theme at least into the next episode talking about uh, suffering a little bit more. It might press it on. Um, continue the thought into First Corinthians 11 and get, in to additional some, episode. get some application get some application that's what gets everybody warm and fuzzy is the application that's right that's right until then go with God